You're listening to the Jets Nation Podcast. Hey, I'm Cody Bueller, joined by my brother Kyle. Today on the show, we're going to talk about the Jacob Truba trade. We're going to look at the NHL entry draft and, of course, upcoming free agency. First off, Kyle, segment number one, talking Jacob Truba and the deal that was made a couple of weeks ago already. I remember finding out you texted me. I quickly got to my phone to find the details as soon as possible. What do you think of the trade first glance? Well, I mean, it wasn't really what anybody expected. and It wasn't in the sense that Truba got dealt, um, but everybody thought the return was going to be much, much higher. And I think everybody's expectations were just far too high, uh, obviously, because the return that was um, received for Truba was not really whatever anybody was expecting. Even talking to rival teams' fan bases, they were expecting to give up more to get somebody like Truba. So I think everybody just kind of had that one off. Sometimes that's the way it goes. Now, did you hear the report that basically the agent for Jacob Truba said New York is pretty much the only team he's going to go to and there's maybe one other? Yeah, I mean, more comments came out after the fact. Um, Truba talking about uh, his girlfriend and how she's becoming a doctor, uh, I believe, in New York and and, uh, they wanted to move there together. He wanted to support her and her career and that sort of thing. So it's very believable that New York would be his only destination, and if that's the case, that instantly drops your um, value for Truba because you only have one team that he'll accept the trade to. Exactly, and so and tons of other teams could offer more, but it doesn't really matter because the New York Rangers were the only team that he was going to really accept a trade to. And yes, he's an RFA, but let's be honest, if you trade him and he's going to be pissed and he's going to maybe not report to Pittsburgh and they're going to have to flip him over to New York or whatever... It's just going to cause problems, and so nobody's going to really want a player like that who's automatically going to go to New York anyway. And so for the Rangers, they get a deal here, and that's just an unfortunate thing for the Winnipeg Jets, isn't it? Like, how do we get around this? Well, I mean, that's just the way it goes. And and you see that in sports. Uh, people talk about the hometown discount. Is that a real thing? Well, you could argue it is in many cases where people sign a couple million dollars less because that's where they want to live or that's where they're from or they like a certain guy on the team. They want to play with that guy. They want to be a linemate with that guy. There's all these sorts of things that go into it. You can't just operate the NHL in a vacuum and take all the emotion out of it because – these are humans. They're people with families, with friends, with um, their own desires away from the game. There's much more to hockey from the players' minds than just playing the game. So based on all of this information, uh, again, both of us, we agreed that Truba needed to be dealt. We agreed that we should get something back. I like the fact that it clears cap space and we're not tied to a specific player for a certain amount. N- Neil Pionk isn't going to be making a ton of money. No, and that I think one of the, was one of the keys. Uh, there were rumors going around that Shevoldayev was trying to shop Perot with Truba in that deal to shed even more salary. Um, but if that was the case, I think um, Winnipeg probably wouldn't have got that first-round pick back. It would have been a totally different sort of deal. I like the move, shedding salary. Uh, Pionk is going to be near the bottom end, um, not quite a minimum contract, but in the probably couple million dollar range. Um, not much more than that. So definitely some savings, get a draft pick back in return. I mean, all in all, it's not a a horrendous deal, um, especially given the way things played out. Yeah, and finding out the information that New York was the only destination that he was really willing to go to, to me, that makes me feel a lot better about the return we got, just because otherwise I was initially pretty upset thinking the Jets should have gotten more. Are you kind of on the same page with that? 
Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it, it definitely shifts everybody's expectations when you hear something like that. And you don't know what the conversation was between GMs or between agents. If, if word got out among the entire NHL, he was only accepting a trade to New York, then obviously his value goes down. There's so much more to it than that we don't really know. We don't know what kind of communication they had. And that's why it's tough. But I think, like you said, it's totally fair once you kind of hear all of the news coming out that I think that valuation for Trubo makes sense. Yeah, and so it's kind of tough that we're getting to this so late uh, just with all the stuff that's happened over the last couple of weeks. We've been busy, haven't had a chance to get a podcast in in the meantime. So I'm I'm good with that. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about Truba? No, I mean, well, other than uh, Pion coming back in return, I mean, is he going to be in the lineup this year? That's kind of a, a big question now. As of right now, probably depends what the Jets do in free agency. He could turn into a decent piece. Um, he actually had really bad numbers last year in New York. Uh, New York not being a, a good team at all could play a factor in those numbers. So if he's playing with a guy like Josh Morrissey, we could see a resurgence from Pionk uh, next season. Morrissey kind of masks a lot of other players' deficiencies. Um, Pionk could have a really good season next year if he gets some some decent minutes. Now that'd be pretty bold, moving him right away up to play with Morrissey. But it's going to be interesting because if you want to keep Bufflin with Sherratt, who do you put with Morrissey on that right side? And so that's where either, you again, like you said, go to free agency, you move up Pullman, you put up Pionk. And so it's going to be kind of interesting to see how camp goes if they don't bring any somebody uh, in free agency. I would like to maybe get some of the big contracts done and then see if there's any money left to potentially bring somebody in on that right, right side, even if it is just for one or two years while they wait for some of their other prospects to come up. Uh, next up, let's get to the draft. Let's go kind of chronological order for what's happened recently with the Jets. So the draft wrapping up last weekend, it was interesting. The Winnipeg Jets going from not having a pick, all of a sudden getting a pick back. I'm sure Kevin Sheveldayoff had in his mind with plenty of time um, weeks ahead of knowing who he was going to pick if he made a move to get back into the first round. Uh, but the Jets taking another couple defensemen in the first couple rounds. We've seen this trend in the last couple of years, picking defensemen um, over the first few rounds. And obviously with defensemen, I, I don't want to put them in the same category as goaltending, but with forwards, it's so easy. Offensive production is a great indicator of how good they're going to be. And yes, offense definitely can indicate how good a defenseman is going to be, but there's so much more to that when it comes to the defensive side of the game. Would you agree that you kind of want to take a few more defensemen just because you don't know necessarily who's going to pan out? It, or what do, you, what do you think of that? Yeah, I would agree. I think if you kind of look at the the history, there's a lot of guys, specifically defensemen, that kind of go undrafted, kind of maybe resurgences later in their careers, guys that were looked over. Um, generally, with, with forwards, you see a lot of guys that are premier forwards in junior or premier forwards at the AHL, at the NHL level, and that sort of thing. But it doesn't always happen like that for defense. And then we see Dustin Bufflin being a really late pick. Uh, Brent Burns also a really late round pick. And, and there's a few other, those types of guys. Eric Carlson has passed over many times in the draft. A lot of those types of guys maybe come into their own differently. And, and I think GM don't really know how to evaluate defensemen as well as forwards. And so that's why if you take more in the draft, then you've got a better shot of at least hitting on one of them. And so Vili Heinola, am I saying that right? Yeah, that sounds, that sounds close enough. Sounds good enough to us here in North America, not being Finnish. But the Jets go with another Finnish player in the first round. Uh, I heard, I saw a couple people complaining on Facebook, not drafting enough Canadians. I don't put a lot of stock in that. I am a big supporter in Canadians. Don't get me wrong. I love Canada. But 
I am just as content with grabbing the best player available. I think that's the way you got to go, no matter where they're from. And I think it actually helps. The more finished players you have in development camp helps them feel more comfortable with Line A and some of the other guys like Niku on the club. I think it's only a good thing to draft more finished players, and it seems like we've done fairly well with them in the past. Oh yeah, I totally agree. I I, um, I don't have any anything against that at all. I mean, in my opinion, at the draft, you pick the best player available always, and it doesn't matter what country he's from. Um, who cares if if he can play hockey? He can play hockey, and, and I agree with you. It's kind of nice having a few Finnish players. Uh, line A, Vessel Line in. We had Joel Armia, uh, Niku, a couple other of these younger guys. Now uh, it should make for a little bit easier time for those guys um, to have guys who speak the same language and have the same kind of difficulties coming overseas. Definitely a good thing to have a few of those guys in the system together. And exactly because how we talked about with Jacob Truba, how there's so much of a personal aspect. I feel personally, when you're drafting players from Finland, it's a similar climate. And if they're coming overseas, for the most part, you'd think, well, does it really matter to them? They're not going to have a lot of family in different parts of North America. Or if they come to Winnipeg and there's other Finnish players there and there's Finnish ties, then maybe that could help. And then Timu Sulani played for the Winnipeg Jets. And we have this Finnish heritage, <laughs> kind of almost, if you will, in Winnipeg. And so... I, to me, it's almost kind of a draw that it kind of makes sense. And when you take a look at players not wanting to play in Winnipeg and you hear that story, is it more likely to keep a player from Finland in Winnipeg long term? I don't know. Just pure speculation. I don't know if that actually goes into the drafting or the thought process at all, but it's something that I think about sometimes. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely an interesting aspect, like you said, because if they're coming all the way to North America, it doesn't really matter where they live. They don't have ties to any place, like you mentioned. Definitely an interesting uh, topic. But as far as the picks go, I think there's a few good ones uh, for the Winnipeg Jets. The tough part is once you get past the the top ten to twenty. Um, especially past the first round. Nobody really knows how those players are going to pan out. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets got a guy, I think is in the second round, uh, could potentially be a lot higher on most people's boards, had a lot of injuries during the season. Um, so there's definitely some guys like that that might turn out very well. Remember Sammy Niku being a seventh-round pick. Um, there are some guys who could turn out really well in a few years, or we might never hear from again. And, I mean, that's the fun of the draft. It's all speculation. Uh, it's all basing it on numbers and personalities, and there's a lot of work that will go into these um, guys. And, and you wanted to talk a little bit more about development camp going on right now uh, for the Winnipeg Jets, too. Yeah, no, with development camp and everything going on this week, they actually invited out uh, Portage Terriers head coach Blake Spiller as a guest coach uh, for at least part of the week. And so that's obviously exciting as uh, me being here in Portage. Uh, but with development camp going on, it's a good way to just kind of get them in town. You can see what they're all about, see what they look like in person. It's just kind of like a meet and greet because there's really nothing being decided at this camp. No, exactly. I mean, everything's already, I mean, they've already been picked, right? So now it's just a matter of getting to know everybody, showcasing kind of the skills. It all depends. A lot of guys playing in Finland, uh, the Jets probably haven't had a long look at those guys yet, probably watched a few games, probably watched some tape. But now it's kind of the first time they get to see them play in person, live, that sort of thing, run some drills. Uh, it's always good to see what types of drills they're good at, not good at. Um, you can learn a lot more in a practice than just watching a game of a player. Yeah, so all in all, I think it was, from what I've heard, it was a fairly deep draft, and I think I've heard some really good things about uh, Heinola, and so I look forward to seeing uh, where he's going to be. Obviously, 
I don't think anybody's expecting him to make the NHL this next year. That's not the plan. We're not thinking about it. We're not planning on it. Kind of like when we had Line a few years ago, we expected him to be in the lineup. Heinola could be a couple-year project, and I'm totally okay with that. I think that's kind of what we need. We constantly need that couple years and the development and guys just kind of coming in on a regular basis that way. Yeah, an interesting thing to note too. I know uh, during the draft coverage, uh, Art was writing about some of the picks, and he he uh, kind of described the Jets' strategy almost like the San Antonio Spurs in basketball. And if you watch the NBA draft um, in recent years, the Spurs are notorious for selecting players from overseas, and they don't rush them over to North America. They just let them play overseas. They let them play in a couple years. All of a sudden, three or four years down the road, these guys are coming over as as really solid NBA players. And the Winnipeg Jets are maybe following a similar model, and you take a couple Finnish players, they can develop in the Finnish league. Look at Veselainen last year. He can just play in Finland, and that's as simple as that. Let them get used to the pro game in Finland. I know a few of those guys the Jets drafted playing against men in the Finnish league. You can let them season over there for two or three years and then bring them over. Definitely no rush for any of these guys. I think it's a good tactic by Winnipeg. So now that we looked at the Truba trade, we've talked about the NHL entry draft. It's really a busy time of year. Now free agency is about to begin. And this is where it starts to get interesting. I love this kind of news and topics and discussion. But it's kind of boring in that brief window where teams can only talk to players. All of it basically right now is pure speculation. So where do you want to start? The uh, offer sheets for potentially a couple of Jets players? Yeah, let's start with the RFAs and move to the UFAs after that. All right, so starting with the RFAs for the Winnipeg Jets, they've got guys like Andrew Kopp, and, uh, but the big ones that everybody's talking about, Line and Connor, where do you see these guys signing for, uh, like as far as dollar amount goes, and what kind of term? Yeah, so I think the interesting part... Um which happened recently, news coming out, the NHL salary cap is not actually going to be increasing next year. Um, a lot of people expected it to go up, uh, not at all, essentially. Um, so it kind of hinders some teams, Winnipeg Jets being one of them, thought they could maybe have an extra $1 or $2 million, now not going to have that space. I think that might hinder Connor and Line's deals as well, because now you can't sign them to quite as much, even if it's $500,000 each. That's still a noticeable difference in what their contracts might look like. Uh, so I think that's kind of the biggest thing going forward is now that that number is set, you can kind of start planning. So now what would you offer those guys and what do you think it's going to take to get them done? And when do you expect these deals to be done? Are you expecting by the end of July? Are we? Are you expecting July 1st? We're going to hear some announcements. I don't think it'll be any time really soon. I mean, Shovel Day Off will have a really good idea. Of, of basic numbers, and, and he can use those numbers to start planning kind of the rest of his summer, so I wouldn't be surprised if he went out and grabbed somebody else in free agency before signing Line a and Connor, because if he already has a ballpark number in his head, then then that's fine if he's planning around that. You just don't want to run into a situation where you sign a few free agents, and now you're running out of money to sign those guys. So I think you want to get at least some sort of number with, with the agent done um, before you actually sign everything. It doesn't need to fully get finished right away. And that's why I'm not expecting anything necessarily this next week. It might be a couple of weeks down the road. Now, I really don't expect any offer sheets to be signed, especially not for Line and Mitch Marner. And those are the ones everybody's talking about on social media. Because let's be honest here, any contract that's being offered 
for Marner and Line that's not going to be matched by the team is going to be over the $10.5 million mark, which means the compensation for the offer sheet would be four first-round picks. I just don't see any offer sheet like that legitimately being signed. Yeah, and, and the tough thing about offer sheets here, a lot of people don't understand. Um, one of the big things is you, you need to have, if you're signing a guy for that money, first of all, the money is decided... Um, so you take the total value of the contract, let's say it's a 10-year contract for Line A at $10 million, or sorry, a 7-year contract for $10 million, $70 million. So that's $10 million a year. But for arbitration purposes, you actually divide that $70 million in five years because that's how arbitration works. So you take the 70 divided by five, now you're upwards of like $14, 15000000 million, and now that's the compensation number. So it doesn't actually have to be an AAV of the contract of over 10 to get the compensation. If it's longer term, you could have $8 million and you still hit that uh, $10 million compensation. So that's kind of how it works. A little bit interesting um, how that works for arbitration purposes. But I, I totally agree. If, if it's a reasonable contract, both teams are just going to match. And the other thing people forget with offer sheets is that the team needs to have all of the picks that they're giving up. So if it's an over $10 million compensation, they're giving up four straight first-round picks. Actually, it's only have... it's only four out of the next five. There was some clarification on that I saw online. Okay, perfect. So you need four out of the next five. They, can, they have to be your own, though. So you yes. can't just trade yes. for somebody else's and use theirs. So anybody who's traded away future first-round picks, they're instantly out. They just can't. And there's so many of these little things that make it so tough. Uh, the other thing is, you still have to convince the player to sign it. So not only do you have to convince the player to sign the offer sheet, then you have to have the team not match, and you have to have all the picks in place. It's just such a huge process, and that's why we never actually see it happen. And the thing is, though, for the high-priced RFAs, those are the ones people really care about. For a cheap RFA, it's not worth the hassle. And for the high-priced RFA, it's not worth the compensation. Because now you're having to pay them the $12 million, and then you're also giving up four first-round picks. Could you imagine, like, if somebody said to you right now, I'll trade you four first-round picks for Patrick Laine, would you do it? Depending on who it was, 100%. And that's the thing, because the teams that have the cap space probably aren't very competitive. So if you're a team that's going to be finishing outside the playoffs, you have the cap space, you sign Laine, that's instantly a top 10, top 15 pick for the Jets in four straight seasons. Well, even Guaranteed the, I'm taking that. By the time it's year four, who knows where that pick's going to be, plus or minus. Like, you really don't know, because there's teams that have dropped off quickly, and there's teams that have turned it around really quickly. You really don't know where those picks, and especially when you project four years out, there's just so much value in first-round picks, the way you can flip it, trade it. You can turn it into so many different things that I just don't know... Unless you're talking Connor McDavid, there are that many players in the NHL that are worth four first-round draft picks just because you can do so much with that as far as trading and turning into other assets, etc. Plus the amount of cap space you save to then go maybe get two $5 million players. I just don't see it happening. Uh, I think the Jets are going to be able to get Connor and Line both signed. The only player who maybe it would make sense for is Kyle Connor. If you could sign him and somehow get it so that it, the... Uh, compensation would only be two first-round picks, a second and a third, then that would be something that I think teams might be more willing to do as far as compensation. Do you think you could get that for that? Because the the two firsts, a second and a third, 
is a value between eight and a half and ten and a half. And I think you could get Kyle somewhere in that window. You could, but like I said, if it's a long-term deal, then you have to divide it among the the five million dollars, right? So if you're talking, let's say Kyle Connor's worth eight million times by seven years. No, let's just take it by five. Million. But like, let's just say they offer him a five million dollar contract. That's all he wants. That's what they can get him for. Five years. Yeah. Yeah. So then you're going to fall in that range. And so now, right? Would you do it for the Winnipeg Jets? Let's say they get him for. Eight and a half million, which is pretty steep, I think, for Kyle Connor. But Kyle Connor would probably take that amount of money, and it's probably not out of the realm of possibility for another team to do that. Would you then take two first round picks, a second, and a third for Kyle Connor? Probably I'm not, for, like not for eight and a half million. And then that's the thing: what team would want to do that, though? Like, why would you overpay one and a half to two million dollars on a player? And give up so many picks. Like, it just makes no sense from the team doing the offer sheet. Like, why would I give you tons of assets to overprice a player for the next five years? That just doesn't make sense. I know, and that's the whole thing with offer sheets, and it's just, I don't see really any getting offered. But I think Kyle Connor is the type of player who potentially could get an offer sheet because he might not get you into that same, the four first-round picks, something a little bit more manageable. But, again, I don't see it happening. He's the only one, though, I see potential. So now when you take a look at uh, Line A, Connor, we've talked about those guys. Uh, what do you think, what do you see the Jets doing in free agency uh, with unrestricted free agents? Yeah, so it's tough because you kind of have to start with your own unrestricted free agents, right? Uh, specifically, a guy like Brandon Tanev, I think the Jets would love to re-sign. I think the Jets would like to re-sign Tyler Myers. I don't think they will due to the cost. Um, but specifically, I, I got to look at a guy like Ben Sherratt. Should the Jets re-sign Ben Sherrod? He's been here for a very long time. One of the probably the longest, one of the longest standing guys in the organization. Do you want to keep a guy like that around? Well, probably, but is he going to get offers elsewhere? I think you have to start with those three specifically. If Sherrod's moving on, if Myers is moving on, and if Tanner's moving on, if all three of those guys get better offers elsewhere, then you need to do some heavy lifting in free agency. I think the Jets are going to need to get a defenseman in free agency, specifically on the right side. I don't know if they can afford Sherratt. Because I heard those numbers of how much those guys would potentially be getting, and they were all priced out of what I'd be willing to pay for each of them. And so I think there are other players you could bring in. I think whoever's going to get Sherratt is going to be kind of slightly disappointed in what they get if they pay all of a sudden $3 million for him. Just because playing with Buffalo and some of those other players, I think his numbers might be a little bit better than what he actually is as a defenseman. But again, uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. One last thing I did want to mention, I, I think the Jets will probably target a defenseman in free agency, maybe a second-line center. I just don't think they'll have the cap space for that right now. No, but if you're looking at the free agency list, it seems like a pretty deep class if you're not looking for the really high-end talent. And I think Winnipeg is not looking for that high-end talent. So it's kind of the perfect match if you're looking for depth. If you lose a guy like Tanev, um, if you trade away a guy like Perot, you're saving cap space. Those guys are replaceable with what's going to be open in free agency. Just running down a list, obviously at the top, um, a guy like Matt Duchesne rumored with Winnipeg for so long, not actually coming to Winnipeg. Um, that would be an interesting type of deal if he became a second-line center, but way too high a price. You're looking more at the guys like Zuccarello or Nyquist or Furland, uh, maybe Dezingle, Donskoy, Payarvi. All those guys would be very cheap 
depth options to replace a guy like Tanev to slot in on that third or fourth line who can net you a, little, a few goals and a few points um, in, in that sort of role. I'm hoping for Donskoy because personally I love his name. Eunice Donskoy, what a great name. Uh, but one other thing, Tyler Myers, $8 million. Can you believe it? Do you think that'll actually happen? Uh, there shouldn't be no way that that happens, but I'm, people are desperate, and then you might get a deal like that. I think it's interesting. Uh, just a few guys on the list. Myers is right near the top. Jake Gardner is right near the top. He'd be an interesting interesting look, depending on which Leafs fans you talk to. They either love him or hate him. Um, a few other guys, defensemen, Anton Strawman getting a little bit up there in age. Same with Carl Gunnarsson. Both kind of veteran-type players. Would they be good fits in Winnipeg? Winnipeg having a lot of young defensemen. If Pullman, Niku are kind of in the mix, even Morrissey's still pretty young. A guy like Strawman or Gunnarsson would be an interesting fit alongside some of those guys to maybe help mentor those younger players along. Yeah, so definitely a lot of different things to look at. I don't want Tyler Myers anywhere over $6 million, but I think somebody's going to give him that. And the thing is that and I just wanted to quickly mention this as we wrap up because i got to go. Uh, when it comes to uh, defensemen and players, it's not that they're not NHL-caliber defensemen. Tyler Myers belongs in the NHL. He is an NHL defenseman. But it's just at what cost? And that's what always uh, becomes a problem when guys harp on how bad these players are. Oh, they're so terrible, yada, yada, yada. Well, maybe they're just terrible in relation to their contract. They definitely are better than a third-pairing defenseman, but he doesn't need to get paid like a first-pairing defenseman. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. People, people think players are worse than they are because of the contract. Exactly, and so I think that's a big case with Tyler Myers. He's gotten some decent point totals. He can put up production. There is an offensive upside. He could be a guy on a power play for a lot of teams in the NHL, but he's not worth $8 million. Okay, that's my piece. I've said it. Thank you very much. Is there anything else you want to add, Kyle? No, I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. By the time we podcast next, hopefully we got some deals to discuss and some free agents to uh, to sign, so it should be fun. Should be a fun Canada Day weekend. Well, that does it for us. If there's anything you want us to talk about, hit us up on Twitter. We are the at JetsN Podcast. Find all of the Jets Nation podcasts at JetsNation.ca.